Welcome to this episode of Let's Chat. I'm your host, Chris Revel, coming from the Cat Cave in Providence, Rhode Island. Wow, we got a good episode for you today. We got Blair Erickson. He is the CEO of Jamwix. Um, you know, you may never heard of this company, but there's a chance you probably are aware of some of his work. Blair is the creative director and writer whose narrative work spans across film, television, and video game entertainment. So Blair is kind of all over the board. He is the director of Banshee Chapter. It's a horror film that is actually now the first movie on Oculus Riff. He's also <laughs> made a documentary called The Standbys, a documentary about backstage life on Broadway. Oh, God. He's done a lot of stuff for Omnicon. He's worked for fucking TV shows, like worked for DreamWorks, PlayStation, blah, 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 blah. I don't need to give you his resume. On top of all of these great things... Blair's a really nice guy who actually gives a shit about the world in the future. Um, I this is the first like tech person I really got to talk to, and we're talking a lot about he, we talk a lot about Oculus Rift and its uses, which I think it's really cool. And then he um so my head I'm like oh choose your own adventure and entertainment because that's stuff I enjoy. And he has this idea of how we can make it, he'll get it you'll hear it, but he'll talk about like Syrian refugees and just. Stand-up guy, what a wonderful person. Uh, we had such a good time talking. Um, his company has also put out an app, which I played before we – to make sure I give you guys the cred that I'm obsessed with now. It's called Sin Magic Hollywood Madness. It's free on the App Store on for iOS or Android, Google Play, wherever you guys get your apps. Please, 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 please go just download it, even if you don't play it, but I – I promise you, you should. It's really fun. If you like Tetris, if you like movies, and if you like animation, this is for you. I've been playing it obsessively. I've been having so much fun with it. And uh, make sure you go to uh, jamworks.com. Check out Blair's company. You know, as I said, he's a CEO. See all the different projects they do. And, uh, you know, please download the app. That would mean a lot to us. And get prepared to hear about Oculus Rift and how awesome it is and, uh, what movies can be and god i mean blair directed the first oculus rift movie and somehow we talk about other stuff as well he's we could talk for hours but what a great guy also we kind of are referring to um a previous episode the way this worked out is that i recorded with blair the day after i recorded with uh, Richard from Devolution Studios so if you're here and us refer to someone in the marines that's Richard you can go back check that out as always, we are on the Core Temp Arts Network, coretempsarts.com. Please check us out and uh, do me a huge favor. Give the show an iTunes review or Stitcher, however you do it. That would really mean the world to me and would help me out a ton. Uh, as always, I'm on the Facebook, Twitter, at Let's Chat Podcast. I just started an Instagram. And um, if you take anything away from this episode, it is that you will take the phone that you're probably listening to this podcast on and you're going to download Cinemagic, a great review. Check out all Blair's wonderful things. Blair, thanks for coming on. Uh, let's get to it. Let's Chat with Revel and Friends is part of Courts and Parts, a podcast network featuring pop culture, TV, and movie podcasts. Check out our other shows, That Popped This Live, Talking Shondaland, We Got Five, and TV Ate My Brain at courtsandparts.com. Let's 
Scott, Scott like mentioned, uh, was like, I'm like anyone else. And he sent me your info. I was like, I did like a really quick glance. I was like, I don't know much about horror. And then he's like, he's like, uh, I was like, but I'll, I can fake my way through it. And then I, he's like, yeah, but it, we're actually talking about the game and the stuff. And I start looking through it. I was like, Oh my God, this is everything I love. This is amazing. I'm an idiot. I should read things next time. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I've, I've gotten, yeah, I've, I kind of am all over the map, which is always a pain when you're trying to like, you know, do branding stuff in, and you know, Oh, this is my product from the maker of so-and-so. And it's like, all my previous products are so different and weird and creepy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think that's the thing I love about people. Like uh, even like uh, the guy last night who was like a magician and a Marine. I'm like, that never happens. Right. That was, I was, I was super fascinated by that. And the idea that like he joined the Marine Corps because someone was like, you couldn't handle that. <laughs> it like, seems like a big step to take just because someone, right. uh, you know, dared you. <laughs> I was like, wow, I, I, if someone told me I can't join the Marines, I'm like, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, that sounds accurate. I don't really need to <laughs> change my whole life. But yeah, I was like really fascinated by that, dude. Yeah, he, I was like, oh my God, wait, you're you're a nerd and you're tough? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you can kick the shit out of me while telling me uh, about like Harry Potter or something. I've, I've actually known a lot of nerdy Marines in my life. Like, I guess it makes sense. The you know, big hardcore geek, hardcore killers, like those types. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can think, I'm thinking of one in a good way, you know. I mean, you know, I'm sure yeah. they were not. <laughs> not trying to get into a bait about the Marines and <laughs> your whole career tanks. Like, ah, oh, podcast said something anti-American. Call the Marines killers, no, but in a good way. In a good way. <laughs> like, we all saw Zero Dark Thirty. Like, come on, it's cool. The morally gray ethical issue that I'm not even getting into. <laughs> I, 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 I like that movie uh, mostly because I was like. Holy shit, they're in it, and like it would be like James Gandolfino, Feeney, Mark Duplass, or like Chris Pratt would just fucking yeah. pop. No as soon as I as soon as I saw Chris Pratt in that movie, I was like, oh damn, this guy's gonna have a huge career because that's like the the funny like guy who's kind of like you know he's the ridiculous pudgy guy in Parks and Recreation, and then six months later he's like you know the guy killing Bin Laden, and I'm like, huh, this guy's gonna this guy's gonna have some range here. And then he does Guardians right after, yeah. <laughs> or during Parks, which yeah. that like just blew me away. I I didn't know those characters. I didn't know anything about it. Just fucking fell in love with that movie. So then and then and then of course he does Jurassic World, and I'm like, all right, this guy is gonna be all right financially. Yeah, yeah, I, I enjoyed that one, but yeah, that was kind of like as soon as I saw Jurassic World, I was like, we gotta make we gotta make fun of that in our game because you know it's like this is getting ridiculous. <laughs> like how it's many so- how many of these times are they gonna open this stupid park? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I love in this list when they make reference to even the old tragedy at the last one. Yeah, but they kept. But doing you know, it. like truth be told, the original is one of my favorite films, and oh, I love the movie. I love the movie. I was like, you know what? It's ridiculous, but I love. It. Oh, it's a great fucking movie, and yeah. the second and third one are terrible. I think I don't remember. Two, two is actually the weakest one. Three, three, three for some reason was better, oddly, than the Spielberg directed sequel. I don't know why. It just it flowed better but the, the this one you know honestly this one was it was solid but you know what they were missing was you had this well you had this park full of human beings running around these tourists and you like all that we ever got to see was like all right and then they got attacked by pterodactyls it just seems like there was like 20 minutes of amazing tourists getting attacked by dinosaurs that somehow yeah. just didn't make it into the film like you know where's the scene of the t-rex chasing a crowd of people in like cute little t-shirts and stuff like that where is that scene i want to see that <laughs> Don't make me go to see another Jurassic Park to do it. <laughs> and and in my, I'm like, why would they make a pterodactyl? Like, and if you made a Jurassic Park, that is such a terrible idea. Just, I mean, you know, 
Oh, you know, honestly, if you open a dinosaur theme park, that's where people, you know, they're going to want the pterodactyl. I know, but one of them gets <laughs> loose and it's going to screw up the whole ecosystem. It's all right. Over. <laughs> it's like all over. It's just exactly. Exactly. Oh, exactly. <laughs> that's what we're here to point out the flaws of Jurassic World. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Jurassic World discussion podcast. <laughs> you know, and then like the Velociraptors would be great for war only in that like, would they? Can you really train a Velociraptor? More you know, that's why they, that was the original plot um, for Jurassic uh, World. I mean, I don't even think it was called Jurassic World at that point. It may have been, but they were, oh. the original plot was they were going to use the dinosaurs as weapons. And it seems like they kind of left that in as like the subtext to set up a sequel in this one. Yeah, and I guess that's like, uh, in reality, what that's what would happen. Like, uh, like South Park's episode with Baby Farts McGeezak or like Dristic Nine, where we think these <laughs> cool sci-fi things, but the reality is like, how can we weaponize it? You guys, yeah, you guys were talking about the the South Park this this most recent season, which I believe was their best season. I think it's their strongest. It's their best season, which is so strange when it's like been twenty years, and I mean, it's even more than that. I think at this point, but nineteen, uh, twenty, yeah, because I love yeah, Simpsons, but like, oh yeah, that's right, ninety seven. It was in ninety seven. It came on. God damn, I would think what I'm middle school maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I like, illegally downloading the first episode of South Park, and it took like six weeks. I see. I okay. This is this will really date myself. Freshman year of college, I remember downloading Spirit of Christmas. I don't know if anybody is not even. Oh wait! So, oh wait! I know what that is that's before, the, that was the thing that was the animated short that got them South Park. Yes, yes. And so they that was like it. floating around our Carnegie Mellon like computer network, and I saw this and I like made a web page to like show this, and it it was like is it the GeoCities webpage. Uh, no, we had we had Carnegie Mellon like websites, and it was you know this is 1996, and this is like you know that like in that social network era where they're like you know it's really cool like a billion <laughs> like nobody was on the internet, and then almost overnight I put this thing up, and it was just this like massive wall of like people on my website just clicking it to watch it because I had put a QuickTime movie up of it, and that was kind of my first grasp of like oh man this internet thing is going to be big. This internet thing, it's a funny thing to hear, <laughs> but I guess but that makes that that makes perfect sense if you were. Uh, uh, well, I, well, it's kind of interesting because you were at the at a good era for computers, and you continued to work in computers. And yeah, you're yeah. one of those people who just kind of gave up on them, like ah, oh, the internet was good in my day, and then I stopped. Right? No, um, <laughs> it's like honestly, that. it's it's been the opposite problem of uh, most of the time with most of these things. Like the internet, you know, you knew it was big. Okay, so I mean, I but the first web page ever designed was like I was in, I was maybe like. 16 or something and i and i did it and it was like netscape era right in that kind oh, of yeah, dial up netscape era right and um i remember kind of just going like okay at some point this thing is going to take off and then you're in, you know in college you start to see it at you know carnegie mellon you start to see how it's used people playing quake a lot all right it's cool but you see oh, still wasn't, oh my God. yeah yeah that's just how far back it goes yes and uh yeah but then like you know you wait you wait you wait and then you know who finally start to see the thing take off but it took you know that whole first dot com crash it took yep. you know the, the going through the recession and slowly building up and then you, we went through like three social networks we went through like you know AOL uh instant messenger then it was MySpace then it was our friendster was in there and then oh, and then yeah. finally you know you finally got to Facebook and by the time we got to Facebook everyone was like well this one isn't going to last <laughs> you know like this one's doomed too like the rest of them but you know it was like okay you saw like this is how it works like it takes forever for these new technologies to finally take off. And um, when we were in college, and this is, you know, <coughs> mid nineties, we were, we were studying uh, research in virtual reality and look at just now that this was, you know, here we are two decades later. It's just now starting to take off. <laughs> How did you have the foresight to see it? 
Oh, sorry. Uh, did you actually have, uh, are you thinking you're someone who actually had the foresight, like this is definitely going to take off or I really like it. Let's hope this takes off. Well, I mean, off. It, it still hasn't taken off yet. So it's too early to say for yeah, sure, but, but I do believe, I mean, I do believe it will. It. Yeah. I, yeah, well, I do I believe it will. Facebook would drop two bill if it, uh, if it wasn't like, yeah, it, well, it's, it's, it's going to take, it's, it, it's take time to get the right solution. Um, and I, you know, I do not know what the, you know, who's going to get the right answer. You might, who's going to get like the Macintosh of virtual reality. Um, cause you've got so many, I mean, every major tech company out here in San Francisco is currently working on some sort of virtual reality or augmented reality solution. Um, you know, name a tech company, Sony. Okay. They've got the PlayStation headset or Google. They've got both, you know, they've got glass cardboard and, you know, magic, uh, eye. And then you could look Apple's supposedly doing some AR stuff. Microsoft's got HoloLens. Um, you know, Facebook's got, uh, Oculus Rift, you know, so there's all these players kind of jumping in right now. And you know that they're not all going to work. Yeah. So there's going to be some major crashes. There's going to be overvaluation, you know, just the same sort of stuff. But there's going to be the Googles who are going to get it right. You know, there's going to be like, you know, Google in the early, like Google had it right by 1997 and has, you know, blown up ever since. Whereas the other guys crashed around them. According to the TV show Silicon Valley, uh, you should put your money behind whatever porn company jumps in on it. <laughs> there is that, yeah, there is that old thing, and I can't. I can say honestly, like our company, we do get hit up for people, you know, like can we do porn and virtual reality? And the answer is like, yeah, I, sure, I guess. I mean, if that's where you see your life going, I mean, it's not. We're not going <laughs> to say no to it. <laughs> we're not going to stop you. Yeah, it's not- like. If you want the technology, sure, we can show you how. I mean, but this is one thing that kind of frustrates me is that people are still looking at this thing as just like, oh, it's just like everything else. You know, it's just like all the last previous mediums. And it's like, no, no, this is the last. This is the final frontier. This is the last human medium. There will be no mediums after the simulation of virtual, you know, spaces into your brain. Right. Like once you're simulating, once you're simulating somebody's consciousness, that's it. <laughs> you know, like after that, it's just a degree of like, how far into your eyeballs does it go? And like, does it just go directly into the back of your cortex? Or do we still use your ears and eyes? And it's, you know, it's just a question of degree at that point. So there's really no mediums past that. And then people are still looking at it like, you know, we'll just put some ads in there and some porn in there. And it'll be just like the internet. <laughs> hey, can you maybe explain Oculus Rift to people? Because like, I, so I like, I have my like toes in the water. I read about it. I know a bit, but I know there's enough people who are like, Huh? Which must be frustrating right. for people in your world. Like, no, this no, is no. I mean, that's, no, no, about. no it's, it's, that's totally right, though, because that's the truth. Like, most people have not experienced virtual reality I yet, so they don't know, really know what it is. About. Actually, I'm thinking a long time ago, I do remember being at an arcade. And I, I, did they try – Not it was like kind of like a Virtua Boy kind of style. Oh, sure, for sure. There's been – you know, I mean, for the, past, for the past two decades – yeah, for the past two decades, there's definitely been all sorts of attempts. I mean, there was like the, the disastrous virtual boy, but yeah. then you had like, you know, stuff that worked a little bit better, arcade experiences. Um, yeah, it was, it was uh, awesome as a kid. It was really fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. And uh, also think about like Disney Quest. I don't know if you ever saw that. Disney World opened up a, a small sort of virtual reality theme park. And it was, I would say, it was overall, I would call it a success. I don't know, you know, financially, but, you know, when you went there, you got a great experience. And there was some cool uh attractions to uh try out and this was about maybe 10 15 years ago and it's been still around as far as i know um so yeah, there's so, been some successes so what could you what would the the easiest way for you to describe oculus riff right so the simplest way is it it basically is a you know if it's done right i don't really i'm not a, i don't really support the, what google's doing with cardboard where you're like holding something up to your face but if it's done right it's like for the current stage it's a visor right it goes over your head and you have goggles on and the goggles are projecting 
two simultaneous high-resolution LCD screens. So if you move your head to the left, the screen perspective shifts to the left, as if you were in that virtual space, what you're seeing uh, through the goggles. So you might think of it like, um, you know, it, it creates a sort of a digital space in your brain around you. And as you move your head or your body, it sort of tracks that to make you feel like you're in the artificial digital space, not the actual space you're in. So that's kind of the simplest explanation, I guess. Yeah, that, 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 man, it's so cool. And now I have a, a good idea for your company. I think you should bring it to your CEO immediately. Oh, yeah. I am the uh, CEO, so I'll, oh. you're just speaking of. Man, well, <laughs> I want some money. Uh, choose your own adventure, <laughs> Oculus Rift movies. Throwing it out there. <laughs> you know, with, uh, I, I, can, I can be candid with you. Like, we, we are definitely, that's something we've prototyped out. I don't know, you know, how far we'll take it. There's also, um, I know Lionsgate. Choose your own adventure always fails. <laughs> Well, no, it doesn't though. Um, so <laughs> it, well, here's the here's the counterexample to that because that's absolutely true. Like you know, in CD-ROM, there was a lot of attempts, and you know, there is going to be those attempts on virtual reality. Some of them are going to work, and some of them are going to not. But if you've seen, um, I don't know if you've played the game like Life is Strange. No. Um, have you played anything by Telltale Games? Walking not Dead, uh, Wolf Wait, Among Us, uh, A Wolf Among Us, or uh, the Walking Dead series on you can play it on iPad or Steam. No, God, I wish I could say yes to these. So, so these games are, I would say they're very successful games. In fact, the Walking Dead series got Game of the Year. And I would say in some, you, some could argue that the season one of that was maybe as good as or if not better than some of the seasons of the show. Um, oh, that's awesome. And what they do is kind of a choose-your-own-adventure mixed with a little bit of light adventure gameplay where there's real narrative choices. And characters remember the choices you make, and it affects plotline later. So if you lie to a character and the character can tell, they will think of you as a liar later, and you'll have different choices with them. And it's, it's a really well-done uh, system that's just really a easy access. Like, anybody can play it. There's nothing very complicated about it, but you get a fantastic narrative, and you get a fantastic experience because you're getting that kind of, my choices matter. It's not just a you know, simple video game branching dialogue. The choices actually change what happens. Um, so it's, yeah, there's some really cool stuff that they're doing there. Oh, that's awesome. And I had heard they, I'd, I heard there was an agreement, like I should Google this before I say anything, but, um, let me just make sure. Yes. Okay. Yes. Lionsgate invested in them, um, last year. And so that is public knowledge. I just want to make sure. Um, oh, yeah, of course. So, uh, and Lionsgate invested in them last year. And I think, that, I, mean, I think that's a really smart move because, you know, Lionsgate is basically bringing cinema out there. And, you know, Telltale's bringing the narrative interactive experience. So you, you imagine, you know, working, you start to combine those and you do get something interesting out of that. And you can probably imagine, you know, live action actors that are, you know, appearing in virtual reality stories where, you know, the outcomes, right? So you imagine like Kevin Spacey and Call of Duty. We don't really think much about that, but imagine you had a story where there's a narrative arc and you're literally dealing with Kevin Spacey as a character and he has, you know, maybe different reactions to some of your choices. And you could probably do that fairly easily just with you know recording a couple different you know takes or trying different you know kind of improv versions where you have a director feed them different like choices and say okay what if i said this to you okay what how would you react what if you said this and so then you could play those all out um because it's digital it's an entirely digital medium so i do think there's a possibility there I know. Oh, and then as you, the way you explained that i was like oh that just sounds like a video game like right. you know certain times you get to a there's like a fixed point and this is the game and then you get to a point i think is it what was the last game? I think it might have been like Saints Row, but it was like you make one or two choices and it wasn't all that different, but enough where it changed the game where you got to the right. same outcome. But it, right. it was cool because then you talk to your friend like, hey, what did you do? I did this. And the, oh, man, that 
that's really exciting. This see this this stuff is so exciting. I'm so stoked for it. So you are the CEO of uh, is it called Jamwix? Is that how you say it? Jamwix, that's us. Jamwix. Yeah. So how does someone like you, the CEO of Jamwix, also direct the first Oculus Oculus Rift movie? <laughs> well, yeah. Sleep? So. No, actually, it's funny you say that. I, I have a huge problem with insomnia. Um, and I, actually, I there mean, was a, this, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> yeah, this has been an ongoing issue. Um, and I've actually kind of, when people have asked, like, you know, I've created some some really crazy stuff that was just like kind of projects that I just wanted to create, like not for a product or anything, like more like art pieces. But, you know, you release them online and people go like, how do you have time to do this? Like, and the answer is I don't sleep. I, I have a really big problem with insomnia, but I try to use the insomnia to kind of, you know, come up with new ideas and, and play things out and try things that, you know, on my own time. Um, but yeah, so how did I get to, okay, so I directed the first VR film, that's true. So it's a film called Banshee Chapter, but it was actually, uh, it was it was also a film uh, in other places. You can get it on Netflix and iTunes, so it's not just in virtual reality. But, um, so what happened there was I had, I had done a film, um, I had produced and edited a documentary um, a feature called uh, the standbys. I don't know if anybody's out there seen that, but it's you know about Broadway understudies, and I had done that I'm when I add that to my queue. That sounds amazing. That's yeah, like, it's, I, I'm obsessed with documentaries. It's, no, it's a fascinating story too because what what it follows is so we were in a, we just followed these folks for a year, and they're they're standbys for celebrities. Celebrity actors on Broadway are kind of the hot thing. It used to be Broadway actors, but now it's you know people yeah. you've heard of from TV and movies. And these standbys are basically the people who, in case the celebrity cannot attend, or for whatever reason they're sick, they break their leg, whatever, the standby goes on. But the thing is, the audiences have no interest in seeing the other person, right? No. <laughs> and the celebrities have no interest in letting another person outshine them. <laughs> so between the two oppressing forces, these people are like these brilliant Broadway performers who almost never get to appear in front of an audience. And it becomes this kind of almost like Zen-like fable of if your job, if you're phenomenally talented and you're paid compensated well, but you never get the audience applause, you never get that moment where the audience says you did it and, and validates your work from other people, is your life still have meaning? <laughs> so huh. it's, yeah. it's, it's a, right. So you, you, it, I think, I, I think that was the sort of the core story we found in there that was just like, this resonates with everybody. <laughs> like yeah. we all feel that way. Like, you know, we all kind of feel like, hey, we're out there like creating greatness and the world just doesn't notice us. Um, and so I think that, you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a great story. But yeah, so I had done that. And I had also been I had been the creative director at a interactive agency that did like virtual worlds type stuff. So we would do kind of branding and virtual world experiences. And we built uh, like PlayStation Home, uh, did the creative like sort of the first pass on that. Other people took it over after, but we kind of were on the initial run at that. And I have mixed feelings about virtual world spaces like Second Life and PlayStation. But we'll, you know, that's sort of neither here nor there. But anyway, <laughs> so we, we worked on that. And um, I, when we were doing that, I did some stuff for Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. I don't remember that. Fox did that series. And it was kind of in between oh, yeah, Terminator 4. And so what we were doing is we were doing live action episodes that were kind of these shorts that ran online and were part of a big kind of ARG and had some really cool stuff in it. We had like, you know, the Terminators actually kind of showing up in this other story and trying to mix it with what was happening in the TV show every week. So like you'd get the TV show and then some of this stuff would tuck back in or give you a little bit like of kind of this interesting, weird backstory uh, that you could kind of explore. So it was really kind of fun. Um, and then, you know, after, after, uh, that I was, you know, while I was working on the other film, I kept thinking, you know, why did I spend all that time making, you know, all these branded experiences for other people when, you know, I have experience, uh, 
doing this stuff, I could just, you know, go direct a feature. I'd like to see what that's like. Um, and so I, you know, just sat down and kind of like, again, with the insomnia, you know, when I, when you're up all night, you just, I just would write the script and, you know, I got it to a place where people were just like, oh, this is really scary. And I was like, good. <laughs> so, you know, uh, because the other stuff, like, you know, the, um, like the documentary I was coming off of was like this heartwarming film that was like the exact opposite of scary, right? It's like, there's nothing scary about Broadway understudies in that struggle. So it was kind of like, you know, keep trying to stay in that range of like, I want to be able to do all of this stuff. And, um, so we, yeah, we got, um, financing to shoot. It was very small budget, very, very, you know, micro budget, you'd call it, but we wanted to shoot in 3d. And the reason was because this was probably when I was writing this is about 2011. And Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, you know, um, something immersive, whether that's, you know, 3d displays or 3d, you know, VR or 3d on your TV or 3d in the theaters, immersive is taking off. Right. And it's coming. And, you know, with that in mind, even if the technology isn't available when I'm done shooting, I want to future proof this. I want to have the 3d information there, you know, so we could at some point have that version of the story. Um, And so we, uh, when we released the film, the Octus Rift, I wasn't even uh, available yet. But it was just kind of in beta development. And actually, I think it's still not available. So I don't know what I'm saying here. It's, yeah, it's still, I think, a couple weeks or months out. But um, yeah, so had the film, had the 3D version. And, you know, the film was kind of, you know, these micro-budget films, the film market's a mess. So it's like, it's hard to get, you know, sort of that widespread theatrical distribution. So very few people see the 3D version in America. In other countries, the 3D version is a little more, you know, common. But here in America, most people saw the 2D version. And I just thought, well, you know, what would be a cool way to kind of release that in a way, you know, that was cool that used that 3D in, a, in something special. And I, we, I started talking with, at this point, I had just, you know, kind of been starting a company. Um, called Jamwix. And so I started talking to my partners about, you know, I have this 3D version of the movie. What are some ways we might be able to do that in virtual reality where you'd get that kind of immersive experience? And what what um, myself and, and, our, and my partners came up with was this um, kind of idea of what if we projected it into a sphere? And our, our chief technical officer, Bill Booth, was really kind of the, the maestro of this uh, one. But what, what it is, it creates the effect of like, you know, like um, Omnimax Dome. Right there's IMAX and then there's OmniMax where it kind of curves yep. around you, and you imagine like the Back to the Future ride if you've ever been on that when that existed or the Simpsons ride as it is now in the at Universal Studios, mm-hmm. and um, what it does is it so it wraps the picture around you, mm. and then if you project a 3D onto that and you correct for the distortion of the sphere, you get this feeling like you're literally like sitting next to the character in the scene because um, you can add a small amount of like head tilt to it. So if I look a little bit to the right, I get a little bit of the right of the scene. If I look a little bit to the left, I get some of the left of the scene. And you start to get this feeling of, oh, wow, like I'm inside the movie and I can tap the character on the shoulder. Um, it's a really strange sensation. And so, yeah, we kind of created this as a, what you would call kind of a proof of concept and just be- released it for free uh, to everyone who had an Oculus Rift. Um, we only, unfortunately, we, it currently only works on the Mac, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> but uh, it's... Uh, we, so we were just released it out there just to see, you know, if if that was an interesting thing for people um, and, you know, what people thought of that and how, you know, other things people might be able to do with it. And, you know, since then, we've had a lot of folks uh, contact us and uh, look for uh, new ways to use it. So we've been exploring some of the uh, different things you can do with the 3D tech. And, we you know, we have a like a patent on it. So there's 
you know, a lot of different plays you can make with it where you, you know, imagine like if you're streaming a 3D video, you can kind of create the space in real time in that sphere. And then you can, you know, if you imagine, right, we shot our film and the film has a limited amount of range, right? I can only look so far to the left, so far to the right. But if I'm shooting with a 360 camera and it's 3D and it's live, suddenly it's like I'm sitting next to someone in the room. So there's a lot of interesting sort of places it goes and we're exploring some of that right now um, while we release our video game. <laughs> God damn, the future looks, it sounds so amazing. <laughs> I, I, the future is going to be a, a roller coaster, I'm going to say. I don't think it's, I, I, could, I wouldn't get too optimistic or pessimistic. I'm going to say it's going to be a wild ride. <laughs> like that's, wow. I mean, it, that idea, like I like, I, when you, I remember being a kid going to like the, the planetarium would be the closest where we would have those, mm-hmm. uh, those rounded theaters and, uh, there's Absolutely. One Boston, uh, and always being like, I wish I could watch non-educational movies on these. Like, can we just watch like Back to the Future or something on this? And and now it's like we're kind of getting there. Except I'm gonna put it like a, a visor on my face and sit on my couch at home and yeah. feel like I'm in a different world. That's exactly what it does. I mean, when you, uh, yeah, once you get one of these headsets, there will you'll have that moment where you take the headset off and you realize eight hours have passed and it's, reality seems strange. She's, <laughs> I mean, but it's insane because. Uh, <clears throat> You're gonna put on the headset, especially if you if it gets to the point with it when you're filming with the three the 360 cameras, which I think are incredible. Imagine like a movie like Birdman in on a 360 camera. Uh, I know it's already made, but but like no, no, it's exactly right. Like Birdman. I mean, so we tested. We didn't just you know I can only release my film right because I yeah. you know can call, I can call the distributor and say hey, what do you guys think about putting on an Oculus Rift? And they're like they thought yeah, that's cool. Let's just do it. They didn't make a thing out of it, so. Um, it was cool. And, but, you know, we did test other films and we found some interesting results. Like, so for instance, uh, you know, Avatar works in it. it like, you know, it, oh it definitely, God, that would be so fun. Yeah. It enhances it, you know, cause it's like that you're, you're getting, it's like the home version of that IMAX 3d experience. So that's cool. And then, you know, you have, um, the, uh, gravity. I tried gravity in it and gravity. And I think, so it was something similar. And in, when I was shooting my film, I kind of looked at Alfonso Caron, the guy who did gravity and children of men. I kind of looked at his style a lot because mm-hmm. he does these really nice, long choreographed takes and these really long takes, I think really add to the immersion. And when we were doing Banshee chapter, it was really much, very much focused on that, getting that immersion feeling because that was going to make it scary. And the more immersed you are, the more terrifying it would be. Um, so we did those nice long takes and that works great in VR. And, what, and then when we tested Edge of Tomorrow, you know, the way Doug Lyman cuts that movie, it's a lot of rapid cuts. And it's in VR, it's difficult because in there, your eyes are constantly readjusting to the space. So it was, oh, that one true. was hard. So gravity worked like the best because you have like 20 minute long takes and, you know, Edge of Tomorrow fantastic film but not in vr because of the way they cut it so you think okay so vr is going to be a different kind of storytelling language it's going to be a different kind of narrative um you know the way we imagine it when we're when we're talking you know writing screenplays or you know storylines out that might play out in vr we think of it like almost like you're in a theme park ride moving through a play like <laughs> it's oh a, yeah yeah you know. like, in, like epcot center or something like i used to work there <laughs> i've only been funny thing that I worked yeah. at I worked at Spaceship Earth at Epcot, you know the big geodesic yeah. sphere. I worked there for like a year when I was I grew up in Orlando, so that's oh no way, yeah, oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I I kind of like the, I love that idea of like being able to move. 
but I, I think you touched on something. Good thing, obviously, you guys are aware of this, but like you're right, this would even change the aspect of storytelling for something the way you would film it. I mean, think of all the Easter eggs you could hide in that mo- in a in a movie and with like that, where like right. you're supposed to focus on the actor, but if you watch it the second time and do a complete 360, you could see I don't know something. Like, right, right. It's a, it's it's not really a it's not really a movie, even though you might script it like a movie. It is a theme park ride, right? Because I'm yeah. in this space. It, I'm able to look, you know, around the corner. I'm able to, you know, and you can talk about is it interactive or do you walk around? And I think there's room for all of that. Really, I think you can you can imagine even you know live improv performances from you know a, a Broadway show. Like you know, here's Kevin Spacey doing Glengarry Glen Ross on Broadway. Um, you know, and you're sitting on the stage with them. Um, oh wow! Or like, yeah, and I've seen like, a point of view of the actor, like see what it's like to exactly. see what they right. see. Exactly right, and these are all the sort of things you have to think about because this is a totally new language for storytelling, right? So it's is it is first person always a good thing in VR? Do I want a body? Do I want to embody a character here, or do I want to be a fly on the wall in the scene? Do I want to have a you know? Do I want to have an influence on the story because I'm going to be that far invested into it, or is it more? you know, satisfying for this story to kind of play itself out. And I'm a, just an observer, like a novel. And I, it's like, I'm living the novel. Um, so I think there's a lot of different great approaches you can take. And it's important, I think, for people to just take a step back and play with it first before they, under, you know, jump into these assumptions that it's going to be just like every medium they've gotten before. Well, I think I've already sold on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> how are they? I mean, I think they're available to the public, correct? Like I could buy like an Oculus Rift right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, right now, um, you know, I think you can get the, you can buy. So the, the final version of the Oculus Rift is not on sale yet, but you can pre-order. Um, same with the HTC Vive, and that's um, coming out, I think, around summertime. That'll be, but you you can pre-order it now. And then the one that you can get right now is the cardboard I have, one, right? Actually, the one that's amazing that I love is uh, my Gear VR. Um, the Gear VR, the what's great about it, and this is, I don't know why, but it's the only system right now that's completely wireless and you know hands-free. So I don't have to touch anything uh, on my head. I can use a controller, you know, um, and I don't have any wires attached, which unfortunately the, the, the Oculus, the first version and the HTC Vive have wires attached to the headset, which to me is a... Uh, you know, like it's just, I, <laughs> I get. How am I having a tether? Like, why am I tethered on this? Yeah, thing? of all the th- it, I'm looking at it online right now. That's actually a very good price for what it does. Yeah, the, well, the, so the thing about that one is you have to have um, a, a certain type. Certain types of phones work with it. Um, mm-hmm. Certain types of Android. Um, it's the Edge, the Samsung. Um, the notes uh, the Samsung note but those work with the Gear VR and we have you know those phones just used with the Gear VR because it's like kind of one of those devices where you really kind of want that access all the time yeah, the website it's, it's, I think it's a tough sell for maybe an older generation because it is really hard to figure out what it is from just like a quick glance at the Samsung's website but like once I uh, hear you talk about it more I'm like oh okay like and I, 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 I like this stuff and I have a friend who works in tech so like they always tell me all this cool stuff, and I'm like, "That's amazing! I can't wait to have one of those." Right, right. <laughs> but that's that's the marketing people's job, and uh... yeah. It, well, I think you know, it, it's it's still early adopter phase. You know, it's and what what it's hard. It's always hard to tell when a market goes from its Palm Pilot to its iPhone. Right? There's that oh, big Palm takeoff. Pilot. Remember yeah. that? Remember the Palm Pilots? Or remember the old? Um, <laughs> portable windows ce phones or the yes, you know I used to I, and i owned like all of them like I, I tried them all and you know they were never that great until you got to the iphone and it was like that was the first one where you're like they got something so right on this one 
that it's it's fundamentally transformative to the market. And I think we haven't seen that VR device yet where it's they get it so right, everybody has to have one. Yeah, and I I'm one of those people like I didn't jump in, I didn't get into iPhone until iPhone 4. So like it has to exist for a long time before I get it. I'm not the last, but I'm kind of in the middle. And yeah, I and I think you're right, it does take some time. Like there's there's the tech crew bubble yeah. people will have it. And then the next wave and then the next wave and then eventually I've got at some point if it goes well it'll be an essential point of uh, home viewing. Yeah, I think you know um Probably the one where I think augmented reality will be where it really starts to to connect to the home um, with in what terms of the be, average family. Augmented reality. So the difference between augmented reality is, for instance, Oculus Rift. When I put on that headset, I cannot see in front of me. Or if I wear my Gear VR to see in front of me, I there's a, actually a setting, and then it turns on a camera in front of me, so I see the room in front of me as a display. <coughs> Excuse me. But um, with so what what they're doing with Hololens is it's, it's goggles that go over your face and then images are projected onto it. So what it does is if I want to see, you know, if I want to watch television, I, I see it on my own wall, like projected on my wall as if it was really there as this 50 foot tall screen. Um, but I see the rest of my room clearly through the transparent glass and how that might, you know, play out and how Microsoft demos it is, okay, so you're no longer in your room, you're now stopping on the surface of Mars. And when you navigate around your room and walk around, when you look at the floor, you're going to see the surface of Mars in three dimension. And you're going to see, as far as the eye can see, where instead of where your walls are, you're going to see the terrain of Mars. Um, and it's, you know, that one, I think, uh, they're getting pretty close. It, it, it's got some issues, but it's in development right now. So it exists, I'm not to the public, but that exists somewhere. Oh, you can you can test it. Um, <laughs> it's uh, you can see demos of it on YouTube. Just type Microsoft oh, Hololens, God and damn, it, it's pretty crazy. Cool. The, there's some challenges right now. One of the biggest challenges is um, so, for instance, if I it does like they have a you know Microsoft owns Minecraft, so they have Minecraft and Hololens. So what that is is I'm looking down at my table, and there's my 3D world of you know voxely great stuff to play with on my table, displayed in 3D. Or, you know, so if another friend has the glasses too. They're seeing the same table. They're seeing the same space, but from their perspective, and it does that. It automatically, you know, allows people to share spaces, you know, and things like that in a way that could be. I think that's pretty transformative stuff, right? That could start to really and be interesting where you're creating shared social spaces. But I do think it's important that we think about, you know, how can we use this in a way that isn't, you know, just frivolous, and how can we use this as something that helps people rather than just becomes another waste of time, um, and. Uh, the at least someone's thinking like that because i was like oh cool video games <laughs> yeah yeah well i you know i think that's of course where you want to you want to start there because you can make mistakes you can try new things or whatever but i do i do hold a lot of hope that i think that this medium could be so transformative in an incredible way in a really positive way for the world um and that's because in some of the early stuff that i've seen is like um there's a a 10 minute virtual reality documentary about um, Syrian refugees and you get to basically be in the camp with them in, in 3d, for, you know, in that space for about 10 minutes um, and see what's going on, see the kids in their schools and the little refugee tents and, you know, what kind of food they're eating and how they're kind of playing outside in these kind of big wastelands. And um, that to me is where I want to see VR go. That mm -hmm. to me is where I think VR can be transformative because when you actually put someone in those shoes of somebody else, it's not like when you can keep that distance when you see it just on TV. 
No, it's because not. when you're there, and this is an, you know, this is really early stuff. So the cameras they're using not great resolution, right? It's pretty, you know, it's like we're thinking real, you know, real player type compression on it. <laughs> you know, it's pretty, it's pretty rough. But it, it doesn't matter. Your brain goes with it, and you start becoming kind of wrapped up in this world of just kind of seeing what's going on because it feels so real to your brain for whatever you know those those sort of neurons fire that says, "Yep, this is this is happening," and it makes you kind of understand now what that is to live in that world in a way that you can't just do with words and pictures. So I think that's where that's where VR has the power to transform things in a in a positive way. And I think if uh, like uh, conservation could really utilize that well do like a planet earth type series with vr which would add so much like with cave space and like an ocean kind right. of thing like that would just be like again right. that's what those I, the imaxes do though it's as much as i make fun of them earlier there i think it is i do love those nature documentaries they play there but i also like the movies but like yeah. the, the, there's something cool about that when you get to see like the I, last time i went to the for boston i was at the i saw a coral reef documentary on IMAX and it was oh my god it was fucking amazing but it's a, that, like, an oculus well it's it's that and it's also like i mean okay i'll get <laughs> let's get a little <coughs> weird here for a second <laughs> um so there is already porn that's been shot in the oculus or or basically two to be, two to be displayed in the oculus rift or in some sort of vr maybe google cardboard headset a lot of these are very platform agnostic but they they have shot porn in this and now you might think, okay, porn, you know, what is it? I'm, I'm looking at the same thing, but it's like right there in graphic, you know, 3D detail. But there's already some shocking twists that they've done with porn that I think are pretty crazy. And one of them is, okay, we're going to put you in the, as the POV of the woman. So you're going to experience what it's like to be the woman in this scene. And that <laughs> is radically, radically provocative and transformative in terms of what that might do when people, okay, experience it from her perspective. What does this feel like to you? And then it's different because then I think then you think about how that makes you suddenly understand at least a little glimpse of another person's experience. And that's something that is, you know, the world is very much missing right now. Yeah, that is phenomenal because I would imagine the majority of porn watchers are men. I'm obviously women yeah. too, but I think they I are. Mean, I don't know. These days, I think that it's slowly changing. I think over time, it's probably getting yeah. more and more. I know women read read it more. Like it, that's more of a like fifty, not fifty shit. Like erotica is huge, more popular with women than visual the visualization of it. Right. But yeah, that right. would that would change everything if you saw. I guess hopefully they don't do it where they film you. <laughs> they look down. You, like hopefully they don't like screw with you and then it's just a video of you on the bottom. Like oh, God. <laughs> oh I'm sorry for everything. <laughs> but yeah, I think you know. But in all honesty, that is a really interesting idea because it would take a, a very human experience and then kind of put it on your head, and be like, "Oh, that's what it looks like up there, or down there, or wherever." Well, it's not—it's more than that because it's almost like you can experience what it's like when someone intrudes on your personal space in VR. Yeah, and, and I think that is a, that for us. Yeah, it's a different—it's a different feeling, right? You go, you go when when a when a person in virtual reality leans into you and like their face is right up near your face. It is as uncomfortable as if a person did that to you in real life. It has that strange sensation of there's someone who's right in my face and it, you know, it's, it's too close. Um, so it does have that effect on you. And it, it's, it's an interesting kind of phenomenon because it, you know, even in the early rough stages that we're at already has your brain sort of doing the sort of legwork to fill in the blanks for the physical, right? To fill in that sort of sensation of somebody standing there, even if they're not. And with a little, I think with a, you know, little time, that'll start to get so dramatically 
improved and it'll become incredibly immersive from how far it is already. And that's where you go, okay, that's where it has the potential to radically alter lives for both positive and negative. Let's talk about, you know, how we do that right. And so uh, here, I want to do a little little transition for someone, anyone listening to this, like, obviously, you're a very busy person, you're a director, CEO of Jamwix, but you guys also made a really fun app as well that we definitely need to touch on. And God, where do you find the time? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so the the, the game, um, yeah. Cinematic. Cinematic. The Cinematic, yes. yeah. Um, so this is our new mobile game. So we've been, we've been working on it. Yeah. Yeah. I I was looking at it. I, I, in case you don't look at iTunes every day to check it, but it had really good reviews. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been terrific. Yeah. We, we, we worked on, I mean, so this one was not, this was not some overnight deal. I've worked very hard with, um, my, uh, you know, team, um, at, uh, Jamwex on this and they've been, you know, the real doing a lot of the heavy lifting. My, my role is more, was creative and, uh, game design and um a lot of the uh kind of mechanics of the game but uh, they focused a lot on the you know the, the 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 crazy like you know systems how it works and so let me i should probably back up and explain what what the game is yeah um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the game is called cinemagic and uh it's it looks at first like the most simple game like the most every match three game you've ever seen and then very slowly, it starts to unravel all these different complex layers. And what you're doing is actually collecting and pulling these pieces of Hollywood movies, like cinema. And it's actually pretty funny. What you're doing is grabbing like actors like Nicolas Cage, and I'll grab a you know, role, a character like Grizzled Cop, and I'll mix them together in a plot like Must Battle a Giant Lizard and you know, Save a Nun's Orphanage. And I'll put them all together, and the movie uh, is actually crafted by the game. So you, you're matching all this stuff together. You're grabbing these bits. And then you craft it into a movie, and that movie battles some terrible sequel, prequel, or reboot that Hollywood just spot out. And you try to see who does better at the box office. And if you beat the movie uh, at, at the highest level, you can actually break into the movie and pull a piece out of it and uh, steal it and add it to your collection. So, you know, if you beat, um, you know, um, you beat, I'm trying to think, like, what's a good one? that would you know if you beat like star wars or something like it's a parody of star wars so there's like you know i think in the game it's like space battles revenge of the sales force or something like that and um <laughs> and uh so you pull out and you get like okay i get a, a location the location is a galaxy far far away so then i can go all right nicholas cage is an astronaut and he must fall in love with anne hathaway who is a survivor in a galaxy far far away you know so you, what you do is you start creating original movies and then it generates the poster and gives you like a box office take and you actually get like a, a sour grape score as we call it and you see how your movie does with the critics which helps you a little bit with awards and uh you know that kind of like um we spoof the entire kind of celebrity and and studio thinking uh, of the industry and how ridiculous all the whole thing is <laughs> so I, how did where did this idea come from it sounds as uh you grew oh, up i have no idea um it just <laughs> uh no you know i like fantasy football but with like a jokier element yeah, okay, so the probably the origin of it. I mean, it, there's it's it's kind of a mashup of a bunch of different types of game. You know, it's it's a little bit match 3, it's a little bit of a crafting game, it's a little bit of a creative game, it's a little bit of a um kind of RPG element and, you know, because you can actually level up the pieces and they get stats and, you know, so there is that kind of feeling to it too. Um and yeah, mostly it was just I thought it would be fun. You know, because like I was like, it would be really fun if I could, you know, take all these ridiculous um, 
plots that I see in these movies repeated all the time and just like start to see what would happen if you mixed and matched them. And then literally the game had an AI engine that could understand what you were trying to do, whether it was a comedy, a drama, a science fiction, and tell you what the critics thought of that. Um, so that was kind of the idea. And, it, you know, these guys, the, the engineers on my team, Adrian and Bill, like they, they, they did it and it was amazing. And I was like, wow, it, we had it like, you know, even in the early versions, it was already like, wow, this is really fun. Like, you know, this is a really fun experience. And so that was kind of how it all came together. And it's free, free in the app store. Uh, it is free. It is free. It? Yes. <laughs> but, and it is, and it is possible to beat without spending any money. We, we made a way to do that. Although, you know, you may have to put up with ads sometimes, but <laughs> it yeah, is. people don't complain about ads. If you don't have to, if you could actually play the game, like I used to try to play Simpsons tap out and unless you spend a boatload of money, you can't do it. Yeah, in in this one, we you know we try to be fair, but you know it's 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 like a <laughs> it's a such a ridiculously complex uh, thing to make a free game, and I, you know, I I always do prefer things to be free because I you know I like people to like kind of get a sample of it at least before they spend anything to know if it's something they want or not, um, and you know I've having been burned by enough <laughs> apps where I paid for it and everybody told me it was great and then I was like ah I don't really like this and I just wasted money. Um, I, you know, I thought that was the right way to go with this. So, uh, we, you know, we kind of designed it with the idea of, um, making the focus more on the, you know, uh, the fun collecting element and not really focusing on, you know, how it monetizes, but rather making the monetization just something that organically, if you want to, you know, if you want to watch ads instead of spending money, there's a way to do that. So how did uh, Jamwix come to be? Is this like your baby that you started? Mm. Well, I started it with um, with Adrian and Bill, and we we've all known each other for about twenty years now, actually since since college. So we all went to college together, and um, they were in college. They were like they were art majors. That's how I met them. So I started off in computer science, and then I was like, I'm not really loving this, and I switched into art. Which so I ended up being like sort of the, on the creative side. They came out of art school, and they got into programming, and ended up becoming you know like. Um, fantastic uh, coders at, at companies like, you know, like they were working at Sony and, and Gmoco and places like that. Um, and just doing a lot of cool work. And, um, you know, we had worked on like the second life stuff and the PlayStation stuff. And I was in post-production on Banshee chapter. And when post was just, you know, it's, it's a slow process and, you know, you go, I don't even know what's next for me. And then I was talking to him and we were kind of like, Hey, what if we, what if we made something? And we had had this idea for a while of making this movie crafting game. Like, you know, what if you had a game where you could craft movies and the thing really understood what the movie was and, and, and judged it. And, and we all loved that idea and we had kind of kicked it around and we were finally like, all right, yeah, let's, let's try it. Let's try this. Let's make a, let's make a company. And so, you know, here we are a couple of years later and uh, it's been good. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a, it's been also it's been intense hell too. Just FYI, yeah. anybody out there is like, oh yeah, I'm gonna totally start a company. It's gonna be easy. No, it's no. horrifyingly <laughs> stressful, and I have like you know it, it, so much anxiety and stress every day. <laughs> and that's like that's your full time gig is the company. Yeah, I mean, well, everything kind of falls under this now. Yeah. So we just kind of treat we treat it like this like digital studio where if we think a project is interesting, has merit, and you know it's gonna do well, then we just kind of create it and we don't really let ourselves be pigeonholed, which is probably you know bad for branding. Cause people are always like, what kind of, what kind of thing are you guys Jamwicks? And we're just like, I don't know. We just make cool stuff on the computer or the video games or, you know, whatever we like. Uh, we want to make a virtual reality film. We do that. We want to do uh, a, a video game where you craft movies. We do that. Um, you know, whatever, whatever kind of we think is interesting at that moment. And yeah, uh, it's been cool. Though. 
the 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 big the the good companies like the big ones like a, like a Sony like they can do everything because you know and that's kind of what you guys can do and you guys are small enough where you're going to do the things you're passionate about and you're going to make quality and that's what's going to keep these to propel because how many little companies have just fallen by the wayside that no one's ever heard of yeah i mean with us you know we were we were lucky enough to have you know a, a team that was just so so terrific that you know we could deliver something even though we were a very small group um, and we said so it was us and our art director, Dylan, and our um, chief financial officer, also from Carnegie Mellon, this, uh, our friend Watley. And, you know, we were small enough, but we were all had these, these great skill sets and enough experience that we were able to kind of survive um, where I think, you know, a lot of companies don't because they, you know, they can't necessarily get a lot of these things done um, at small, reasonable budgets. But, uh, you know, we did it and it, it's been great uh, it, for all the, for all the horror and, stress and anxiety it's actually you know it's been a great experience and i don't think i don't think i could go back at this point <laughs> before we start winding down uh do you, you have you ever do you have ever <coughs> excuse me do you happen to actually watch the show silicon valley i do i do watch Is it show. uh true to life I don't think so i don't think so in okay. fact it does it does infuriate me sometimes what a terrible ceo that guy is um <laughs> gavin belstein or uh, oh richard uh, richard the main, the main character i'm like yeah, i like a, I all the I like all the supporting characters, but like there are so many times I just want to like smack the crap out of that main character because I'm like, you know, look, this is a this is a rough game, and that guy is constantly just like he's just like shitting his pants in terror all the time, and I'm like, I'm like, dude, you got to show a little bit of leadership so you're not terrifying your team, who's like literally their paychecks are depending on you not screwing up, and you're just sitting there like with this big gulp, like oh no, what's gonna happen? That's that's so frustrating. I'm like, you're a CEO, you gotta at least act a part a little bit, like fucking dude, pull your pants up, like let's do this. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that's why I love the show so much because it's just it's those awkward moments that are just like oh. But they, they get, they get, they get. You know, I'd say they get some, some of it right. Like, you know, uh, there's, there's some truth a lot in the uh, way they depict that uh, VC, <laughs> the uh, the guy with the sports car and the. I mean, there, I, oh, I've yeah. definitely, I've I definitely run into that guy way too many times in my career. Like, he I've put definitely internet on the radio. Oh my god! Like, and, no, and, I can't tell you, and then made a bunch of money, and then never did anything again. I can't tell you how many fucking terrible ideas like that I hear all the time, where people are just like, "This is the next hot thing." You're just like, "Ah, like what a horrible idea!" Like, never do that. Um, it's like a podcast, but we charge you money to listen to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, like the like the TJ Miller character. He's pretty. He's pretty spot on. Like, there's a lot of guys like that. You know, are a little bit wild man types that uh, somehow make the whole tech thing work. Um, you know, you see, you do see those guys and, you know, the, the programmers are, they're fairly true. Like that kind of awkward, uh, disgruntled, hilarious, snarky characters. Um, the, but yeah, that it's just the CEO. It's literally like, he's the character yeah. where I'm just like, how, why, like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, like there's, there was like, there's so many scenes where he's about to destroy his entire company out of something that everybody is like, this is a terrible idea. And like only a twist of fate saves him because he was about to go through with something really terrible that was going to destroy his company. And every time I see that, I'm just like, I would have no confidence in that guy. And I would be looking for a new job. Like this guy is you know, a terrible leader. Terrible. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, are you were you a big are you a big comedy fan? Cause you mentioned improv earlier, and you knew who T.J. Miller was. I was like, all right, is that like 
just a yeah. I mean, I I, I know like you know the, I would say a fair amount. I you know you listen to WTF and Doug Benson yeah. and Joe Rogan. You kind of yep. Then you know everyone. Yeah, same here. Yeah, comedy yeah. podcast just opened me into that world, and like it's actually encouraged me to go to a lot more stand up when like good stand up comes through, and it's yeah, it's fucking fun. I don't like to watch it on TV, but I like going to it, and I like listen to podcasts. The, the the comedian culture in Hollywood is is interesting. Like it's kind of like you think of them if 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 Hollywood is a high school, they're like the chess club. Um, yeah, you know, like they're not considered cool usually unless they break out of the comedy thing. But they do tend to be the smartest people and the most realistic people in the city. You know where they understand like it's a shitty industry and everybody's awful and that jaded sort of cynicism is what informs I think a lot of the you know why comedy has to be funny it's got to be a surprising revelation of truth and having that sort of cynical experience of being the outcast in such a shallow uh, city I think helps a lot in the LA scene um, when you when you see that's a lot why of that. I love Silicon Valley too because it's like that same premise but in the tech world that I don't know anything about and I don't know obviously it's not completely accurate but just that. The tech world has radically changed. I mean, it's radically yeah. changed. It's I've been, you know, I've been in San Francisco, you know, it's over almost a decade now. So, you know, I've seen it go through a lot of change in this time. Before I moved here, I lived in Southern California, but I was always up here, you know, sort of like hanging out or staying for a while or with working on something or with friends. So I've spent a lot of time here over the past, you know, period. And these past two, three years, whatever the, you know, the sort of the influence of money from these tech sort of successes uh, has radically changed everything about the city in a, not a very good way, I would say. Like, it, it, it's become a lot more that kind of shallow materialist culture where people don't necessarily identify with their fellow humans and it, are just more about getting, you know, flashy things and luxury and sports cars and things like that. Yeah, my uh, cousin, I have a cousin who lives in Oakland and works at like a world music venue, Ashka something. And it just he's been in Oakland for years and he was just telling me about it too. It's like, it's... I think he's, he's like when he, he told me he was like uh, there's a number of issues that only pertain to San Francisco Bay Area that I can bore you about, but you don't care, right? Right. But I mean, but I think, <laughs> you know, I look at like I look at Silicon Valley and I go like Mike Judge really, you know, that's that's a guy who wrote Idiocracy, right? He should have yeah, sort he of worked a in better at one point in life. He should have right. He should have a better and especially office space, like office space, for example, yeah. of this. You, he should have, a, I think, a better deconstruction of this kind of hyper greedy capitalist culture that's sort of moved in here. And it does feel like Silicon Valley gives a lot of that a pass, right? It doesn't look at the really dark side. And I can tell you, like, even this past week, they were, you know, so you have about 75% of the homeless people here right now. And there's a lot of them here right now. Used to have homes here. But now the average rent rate, you know, in, in a lot of these neighborhoods is about $3,000. Yeah. And so these people used to have homes in the city. And now they're in tents on the, on the street. So, okay, you have this, the, I think, one of the wealthiest cities in America here per capita. And, you know, it's, it's got this, you know, huge government, you know, system. What do they do about the homeless? Well, they went around and they picked up their tents and threw them in the garbage. That's what the city's solution for it was. And it wasn't some big outcry like there would have been, you know, 10 years ago in San Francisco. People were just like, well, you know, they're an eyesore. Like, you know, hey, those are human beings. You know, they don't just throw human beings away, like, and wait for them to die and get rid of their, you know, tent and just, you know, leave them like refugees. But that's exactly how the sort of city is now reacting. And you go, God, something has really changed in this city because that would not have been okay 10 years ago in this town. Like, people would have fought that and it wouldn't have gone. It wouldn't have flown politically. That's really upsetting. Yeah. It's crazy. (laughs) But so, you know, that's the thing I go like Silicon Valley is probably giving all of that a pass because they go, well, you know, who's going to laugh at that? And 
you know, the answer is like, you got to still find the humor and the truth of that and explore that because that is the truth, right? The truth isn't, it's all, you know, a good time frat boy house. Like they depict it. The truth is there are, you know, human beings that are suffering because of this culture. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, well now the show looks less fun. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I still, I still watch it. And I still laugh at it, but I still go like, eh, come on guys. You, you, gotta, yeah, yeah. You, need to, you need to dig a little deeper here. There's, there's a lot of rotten stuff in this town happening right now that, you know, really should be examined. Man, you, you should reach out and they should hire you as like a consultant. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that's how let's, Hollywood let's, works. Let's let's hire Debbie Downer there with his homeless, uh, sad stories. <laughs> hey, listen, my judge, you don't know me, but listen to what I've done. Hey, you uh, know what? Cinematic magic. People say it's hilarious. I wrote that, so come on, hire me. <laughs> Different kind of humor, though, obviously. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, where could uh, people find you and all of your wonderful projects on the old internet? And I'll put an intro in the front too to plug everything again. Well, uh, you know, obviously the big thing right now is Cinemagic because that's our, it's our newest, and that is up on the app stores everywhere. You can get it on Android or iOS. Um, so yes, that's Cinemagic Hollywood Madness is like the full title. In case. People are confused, but um, so there's that. And uh, if you want to see the film Banshee Chapter, uh, if you don't have an Oculus Rift, which I'm assuming most people listening almost certainly do not, uh, it's on Netflix, so you can check it out there. And uh, that's probably the best way to find my work. Awesome. Do you tweet social media stuff? Uh, you know, I have a Facebook and a post to my Twitter. I, Twitter's kind of a void to me. Like, it feels like I'm yelling into a vacuum. I don't know what the point <laughs> of that thing is sometimes. Yeah, um, that's but, what it is. It's like, I, I guess a bunch of people retweeted it. Who gives a shit? Like, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, because I say like, you never have meaningful conversations on Twitter. I don't know what it is, but it's just no. none of the conversations ever have any depth to them, probably because it's limited to like 140 characters. You want to get called Hitler? <laughs> yeah, well, it's, you know, where are you going to go with that? But uh, so, yeah, I do have Twitter. I guess you can follow me, but I use Facebook more. So if somebody finds me on Facebook and adds me, usually I throw them into this kind of acquaintance list where they can follow me on there, I guess. But I'm, I'm actually, I kind of stay a little bit behind the scenes on the social media thing even though i do a lot of crazy social media stuff i did that reddit 3016 thing if anybody saw that uh two weeks ago um, oh yeah yeah scott mentioned that and um and then i told i was talking to him today about something else and i was like i don't read it that's the one i just right right i don't get it but yeah i did this thing where i was like reddit a thousand years in the future and it you know it was kind of cool it got some some interesting reaction from reddit and some interesting reaction from the media but um the uh the social media thing is just kind of like I try to keep it a little more like my my friends and not bring like a bunch of random people oh, yeah, into yeah. my and personal life. You actually work in the industry where you must, right. uh, which you know it's 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 a hard thing too because if you if you do it that way, like every time you release something new, you have to build an audience again because you're not like you don't have a yep. fan club of ten thousand people. But I'm kind of okay with that for now, and you know who knows maybe that'll change over time. But for now. I like staying a little underground and just popping out stuff when I get it. <laughs> yeah, excellent, excellent. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, thanks, man. Have a good rest of your night. Cheers, man. Thank you so much.
In the future, humans create AI. Three days later, they have sex with it. Gigahose is a robot sex comedy with what's been called a South Park level of shock value. Creators Adam Lash and Kevin Gilligan take their concept in smart, surprising directions. It's been described as pure genius with a real clerks-like charm. Catch season one now at youtube.com slash gigahose.